this episode of In the House, we sit down with Daniel Glauser of Rising or Build to discuss his personal remodel project. Now, this is a house built in the 1970s, uh, so there are some challenges with that, but he's going for a passive house certification. So we talk about some things to consider if you yourself are looking to build a passive house. Um, But listen to Daniel's reasoning behind going for passive house certification. Later on, we talk about Daniel's background and how he found his way to construction by starting his own company. We talk about the differences between old construction and new construction methods. Also, I play devil's advocate on a discussion about should Texas require builders to be licensed. So don't forget to like and subscribe, share the podcast, and give us five stars. Thanks for listening. Daniel, glad to have you on finally. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm glad to be here. Thanks yeah. for joining us. Um, are, you, are you sick of uh, showing people through your house yet? Absolutely not. Yeah. No. I really enjoy it because, one, it's fun to sort of get the word out about what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, but also, too, it's great to get other people's opinions about what I'm doing. Because sure. um, I don't you know, have the audacity to think that I'm doing it 100% correct. And I love, uh, and look, kind of what we talked about, there's different ways to do lots of different things. So it's nice to get other people's opinions. Yeah, so... Obviously, you know, for people listening, they might not know, uh, you are currently remodeling your house, mm-hmm. and you're, you're trying to... So, it was a house built back in the 70s? Yes, 77. 77. Uh, and you're doing a full remodel of that place, and you're trying to build it to, like, passive house standards. That's right. Yeah, we are going for certification. So, nice. we're, we've done all the modeling um, <clears throat> that has sort of informed... How we do our wall assemblies, uh, what kind of mechanical systems we're putting in there, things like that. What is a passive house for those that are listening? That yeah, yeah. So passive house, um, it is. I think what most people that know about passive house generally would consider the highest standard of efficient building, and so it is kind of follows the pillars of construction that it follows is um, first air tightness. And that kind of, we all know, if you make your house super tight, you can control the inside environment. Um, Whereas if it's leaky, then you're basically heating and cooling the outside as well. So air tightness is key. Yeah. Um, Also, super insulating. I mean, depending on what climate zone you're in, obviously it changes. But putting your insulation not only inside your walls, but outside your house as well. So you have a continuous layer of insulation kind of blanketing your house. And with that, um, you know, you attempt to completely eliminate thermal bridging, which is not always possible to zero it out completely, but that's the goal. Um, and then <clears throat> really the glazing is important. Mm-hmm. Um, so you want to, and some of this is done through design, some is some of it's done through construction, right? So where you orient your windows, how big they are, what type of glass you use, those kinds of things. But you want to minimize the effects where we are here minimize the effects of the sun uh, on your indoor environment so you know you don't want direct sunlight so you don't have big windows south facing whereas you know in northern climates maybe it's the opposite maybe they want to help heat their house with the solar radiation so it's those types of considerations Um, and then you know with 
the air tightness that you've introduced to your house, um, you have to also ventilate your house properly. So yeah. using an ERV or if you're in a different climate, an HRV. Um, and so that introduces filtered fresh air to your home, exhausts maybe the stale and stagnant air, so you're having a constant circulation. But you're able to control that. It's not just leaking in through your walls. What is an ERV and an HRV? Yeah, so the ERV is uh, energy recovery ventilator. So um, what it does, it's this really neat. There's a, what's called, I think an enthalpy filter. And it's... Um, a filter that allows air to pass from, so it's got a, an intake and an exhaust, so you have basically two penetrations in your envelope. One of them is bringing air in and one of them is taking air out. Um, and then throughout your house you have some supply vents and you also have return vents. Mm -hmm. And what happens in that box in the ERV, um, as it circulates the air it takes some air out of your house and introduces outside air into your house and they cross through this filter and as that happens they don't mix they don't actually touch each other because there's these you know wafer thin pieces of filter fabric and i don't know if i'm exactly describing it correctly but so it it's an energy transfer so if you have warm air in your house and cold air outside as it crosses through, it warms up that cold air that's coming into your house, mm -hmm. and that energy is then taken out of the warm air that's in, in your house that's going out, and so you're not bringing in cold air, and vice versa if it's hot outside and cool in your house. That's basically what happens. So, but in, in this climate, why do you want that? I well, mean, if you're trying to cool the inside of your house, sure. why are you wanting that, that exchange? Yeah, exactly. So in the middle of the summer, when it's 104 degrees outside, you still want fresh <clears throat> air in your house, but you don't want to bring in 104 degree air into your house. Okay. So this mechanism allows you to cool that air. It does not going to cool it all the way down. It's kind of pre-cooling it. It's pre-cooling yeah. it, right, exactly. And so um, you still obviously have an HVAC system that's circulating air. But this is a way to get fresh air into your house um, and being able to temper it a bit. Right. So the, the ERV, it, it doesn't actually require power. Is that correct? Like, It does require power. Well, so, I mean, it's, it's, it's not... It's got a fan. A fan is what's circulating. It's got forced air pushed yeah. through. Right. It, it's pushing the air, but it's, like you said, it's kind of tempering the air before it gets to yeah. your air handler, which is well, really doing the, right, so, the bulk of the... Yeah, so it actually, uh, I mean, there are different ways to set up the system, but typically it's not connected to your air handler at all. It doesn't share ducts. Okay. Um, now, we, we have some instances where we will put, um, we will integrate them into a linear bar grill or something like that. So visually, they look the same and you don't have a bunch of different things poking out of your ceiling or walls. Um, but the ductwork itself is typically completely separate from your HVAC system. I gotcha. So, why passive house? Why did yeah, you, why did you choose to go that route? It's a great question. Um, so, you know, it's I generally build to a high standard already. So, um, I think that it is a valid question. A lot of people ask me, you know, why why do this extra step? Um, I think it's important um, to do that. It's especially here in this climate zone. There are very few very few passive houses mm -hmm. but i believe in um the ideas behind it i believe in the concepts and the way that it works 
And I think it, we should all strive towards the highest level of building. Um, I'm capable of doing it, so I'm doing it. It's really what it comes down to. Um, I want my house to be comfortable, I want it to be healthy and clean, and I don't want it to use a lot of electricity. Um, and so, or a lot of energy. So that's, that's why. What are the, the cost, are there any cost savings in the long run? And like what, maybe we kind of talk about it from that and like, you're having to, I guess, spend more up front as far as, you know, your building envelope, your insulation, all, you know, the additional mechanical equipment. But yeah, yeah where, where does the... Yeah, so people often talk about it, um, how much more does it cost, right? Yeah, That's yeah. the question. Well, how much more does it cost? But you can't answer that question without answering the question of what are you comparing it to, right? How much more does it cost than what, right? Um, so if you're already building to a pretty high standard, which we do here in Austin, right? The way that the city of Austin mandates the certain things that it does, it's already a pretty high level. So to make that leap up to passive house is not significant. Um, if you're talking about, you know, somewhere else or, you know, in a track home development yeah. um, where they build houses much more inexpensively, then there's quite a bit of difference there. Um, but that's it, also, it kind of goes to, it's a holistic thing. It's a holistic thing. It's not, thing. oh, I, I just changed my windows and so it's a passive structure or right. I just changed the way my mechanical system works. Right. As you mentioned to begin with, it's all the way back to design. Yeah, and so... So it's a mentality, it's a, it's a thought process for the entire construction rather than just saying, okay, I made a really tight house. Yeah. Or I, because it's window orientation, it's design, it's ceiling heights, it's... Yeah. It's everything together. Yeah. And I think, you know, one way to look at it is is kind of like that the design aspect of it, how you design your house doesn't really change how much it costs necessarily. Sure, you could say, uh, I designed a 1,600 square foot house or I designed a 4,000 square foot house, right? Those are going to be different. But orienting your house a certain way, it's not going to change the price of the house, Right. Um, putting your windows thoughtfully, that's not going to change the, the price of the house necessarily. Um, so it's those things that don't really change the cost much. And then a lot of it is really just paying attention to the details of construction. Air, air sealing your house properly shouldn't cost much more than just building your house well to begin with. It's just paying attention to those details. Now the additional insulation on the outside, that's a bigger cost, right? Um, but not overall significant um, if you're comparing the mechanical systems of installing a dehumidifier and installing an ERV and a very high efficiency um, HVAC system that is a, a big expense but again what are you comparing it to what, what would you have done alternatively so if you were going to put the DHU in or you weren't going to put the ERV in then it's quite a bit different but if you are already going to be putting in the uh, DHU in which we do in all the houses that we build mm -hmm. um, it's it's not that much more to do it's a little bit more labor and a little bit more materials um, but that to your point Lonnie is you do those systems up front and yes it costs more up front mm -hmm. but then over time you're spending less monthly on those energy bills yeah where call it an active house that is 
pressurizing the inside of the house with conditioned air yeah. and letting that filter out through the walls, yeah. you're going to spend a lot more each month on your energy bill. Yeah. So there is a there there there's a pretty good trade off. Yeah. Call it a, an active lazy house where you're just <laughs> pumping in AC. And, yeah. You know, hey, at least your you know your walls will dry out and hopefully no mold or anything. Yeah, and yeah. I, I think something else that's important. Actually, my wife and I had this conversation this morning, but um, you know there is. You know, you can do the math and figure out how much does it cost, how much less am I going to spend on my electric bill or whatever, and then figure out that ROI if you want. But another way to look at it, too, is sort of that intangible aspect of it, like the comfort of the home um, and, you know, the air quality within your home. Those things have effects as well on you and your well-being and your overall um, quality of life, right? And so that's an important aspect as well and part of the metric. It's just not necessarily a number that you can put into a calculation. But something else that I didn't mention, which I should have, is um, the sort of built-in resiliency that your house has. You know, we had the big freeze um, mm-hmm. and power's out for a week. If I've got a super insulated house, you know, set aside whether or not I have a generator or solar panels or any other sort of resilient systems like that but just having that super insulated very airtight structure it's going to hold on to the heat inside of the house way longer than any other house will mm-hmm. and um, you're going to need a smaller amount to supplement it a smaller amount to supplement it that's exactly yeah. right so from the resilient aspect there's a huge a great benefit there and i mean the same is true in the summer as well um you know if it's 100 degrees outside and for some reason there's a blackout if you have previously cooled your house to 70 degrees or whatever, it's not going to stay at 70, but it's not going to heat up very quickly either. Right. Has anybody actually calculated the return on investment and, and figured out like how long does, how many years or months does it take? To- yeah, I mean, I'm sure there, there I don't know specifically, sure. but there are case studies where, you know, um, that has been done. And what typically what they do is, they, um, you know, they compare it to a code-built house. So sure, if yeah, you yeah. were to just follow the code minimum, this is how you build it, or you do passive house, what's that difference there? Um, and surprisingly, you know, I, I don't want to throw out any numbers because I'm not the expert in that, but <laughs> it's, not, it's, it's not as much a difference uh, in cost as you would expect. Um, and it's really attainable. It's an attainable thing. You know, quite frankly, um, up north in the Northeast and lots of other places, a lot of the passive house projects that are underway are like affordable housing, multifamily scenarios where they are just applying all these passive house standards. And it's, you know, from the developer standpoint, it's fantastic because the maintenance is very, very low on these houses Mm -hmm. and the cost to operate these or these structures is very low as well. So it's it's very appealing for a developer who is you know paying to maintain and paying to operate a, a building? It's great. That makes total sense. Yeah. Yeah. I think the other thing that shouldn't be overlooked though is, and to steal a term from a previous client, you guys are into the BS, <laughs> right? That's right. Y- y'all are into the building science of it, and there's there's <laughs> more to be said for you know somebody can go out there and build a passive house, and if they're just any old average builder, that's one thing. Yeah. Even if you follow all of the passive house ideas and standards and methodologies, if you're not as diligent about the construction as you guys are, mm-hmm. it's not going to be as efficient, right? Yeah. It, it's 
we've said before, 99% of the products that are available out on the market are, are pretty solid. Yeah. It's always the installation. It's always so it's, the installation. It, to, to your point earlier, it's the details. Yeah. But it's the details of making sure that the products are installed really well. Yeah. Which you guys do a fantastic job of. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, it, it really it doesn't matter how good something is if it's not put in right. Mm -hmm. And um, and so, you know, there is, I don't want this to be like a commercial for Passive House or whatever, but <laughs> there is something to be said um, about going through the certification process because there's a lot of oversight involved. Mm -hmm. and, and testing. And testing, exactly. So you have to, um, you know, you've got to meet these metrics in order to get the certification. You have to pass certain inspections. You have a consultant that's with you that um, walks you through the process. And so, you know, if you are less experienced, um, you have that support. Um, to help guide you through that. Your house, I mean, it's um, it's remodel. It's it's older. Mm -hmm. So what what have been some of the, the challenges? Obviously, you know, we we're talking about like you know, if, if you were to build from the ground up, you could orient your house in such a way, and and you know, orient your windows in a certain way. Well, your house was built in the seventies, so there's you're you're kind of limited mm -hmm. in that regard. Yeah. So what would have been some of the challenges that, that you've come across? Um, well, you know, the traditional things that happen in renovations, right? Like the framing on the original house is out of square and isn't plumb. And so if I've got some additions that I'm adding on, figuring out those transitions between old and new is obviously tricky. Yeah. Um, Could be new and still out of square yeah, and out of true. plumb. I've seen that too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, to your point about the orientation, right, we didn't have a choice there. So we made some um, design decisions based on that. Part of what we were able to do to overcome south-facing windows that we just had yeah. or it didn't make sense to get rid of because our view um, is south-facing and we didn't want to get rid of that because it's a gorgeous view. So we're introducing shading to the outside, right? Mm -hmm. So we're putting up a pergola and making sure that that will provide Smart. shade for the windows um, and things like that. Um, but the you know the the most difficult challenge really is what we are doing, which we don't recommend to anybody to do. But that's to live there while we're yeah. doing the renovation, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it's insane, and you shouldn't do it, but. This is this just something that we do. Yeah, um, it's a master's degree for America. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so yeah, from from that standpoint, you know, our house is elevated, right? You have to go upstairs to get into our house. Yeah. Um, part of the renovation is redoing the front of the house, the front entry of the house. So we had to build temporary stairs and a temporary door on the back side of the house so that we could get in and out. And then um, once the front was finished, we moved those stairs to the front of the house. And then at one point we couldn't get upstairs, so we had to do, you know, so it's just like logistically if um, it's increases the time and the cost that it takes to do the project. Yeah. But it, we are still saving money by not having to um, pay rent somewhere else. Yeah. Right. And that's, I mean, that was the trade-off and the decision that we made. Also, it makes it much easier for me to manage the project um, because I have a full-time job, like I'm not, yep. I'm not doing this for work. This is a, a hobby, I guess you could say. Sure. Right? <laughs> um, but so being able, being able to live in the house, one, I can do some of the work myself in the mornings and nights and weekends and things like that, uh, and still be at home with my family. Um, but also, 
you know, when I get up and leave for work in the morning, my guys are there, I can go through the day with them, and then when I come home at night, I don't have to make an extra trip, I'm, I'm already there on site, yeah. and I can kind of see how things are going. Well, your wife and kids seem to be uh, good sports about it. So. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, I, I'm not going to say that it's that it's a breeze, right. but, um, but we are, I think, all handling it very well. Yeah. I'm interested to, to hear more about you and your, and your background, and where did it all start for you? Oh, well, let's see. Um, I think probably, one, I just, I have an aptitude for building. Like, it's just how my brain works, probably like most of us, right? Yeah. Um, Growing up, uh, so I grew up in San Antonio, and um, my dad built our house. Mm. And much like I'm doing to my children now, we moved into it um, before it was finished, and every paycheck he would buy some more materials and, you know, continue building the house. So I was, I grew up around construction. My dad is an engineer, not a builder, but, um, Mm. so I think that's kind of where, it's where I get it from. Um, I didn't start working. I had a a variety of odd construction jobs kind of growing up. Um, but after, so I went to UT here in Austin. Um, and I, a friend of mine had just started a company where he bought some houses to renovate, to flip, and needed somebody to work with him. Um, I had just finished school, was looking for a job. So I went to work with him and, um, you know, we did, we self-performed a majority of the work and that's really when I kind of got into it and um, developed a love for houses and building and creating things and understanding how things work. Um, And so I worked with him for quite a few years, I think probably about four years this was in my 20s. Um, I had opportunity to go to a couple of different states and do some projects there. I had some friends that moved to Kansas City and um, they bought a house there, an old house that they wanted to renovate. So they paid me to come up there and I spent, yeah, I guess this is a pattern for me. I spent, you know, several months living on the job site <laughs> and working. I, you know, I guess now that I say it out loud, I'm realizing. And then another friend had a, a house in California and I did the same thing there. I slept in a sleeping bag on the job site for a couple of months. And, um, just really, I just lived and breathed building all the time. Um, and then, um, I guess in about, so my wife went to law school here in, uh, Austin and um, after law school, uh, she did an internship for a year. But then after that, um, before she started her real job, she wanted to take some time off. And I was in a flexible position. So um, we went traveled for three months. And um, at that, so I kind of stepped away from my job here. When I came back, decided I wanted to start my own business. I thought it was, uh, it was time for me. So I thought, well... How am I, how am I going to manage other people unless I know how to do all the things? Mm. So we had an opportunity. We bought this, um, what I thought was a renov- like a, a fixer-upper in East Austin. It turns out it was a complete tear-down. <laughs> and it was a, a crack house that had been abandoned for two years. Uh, but we got a great price yeah. on it. And um, it was a 100-year-old structure. So it had that beautiful longleaf pine. Mm-hmm. All wow. the framing was longleaf pine, the siding, everything. Um, so I thought, okay, well, what I'm going to do is we're going to build a new house. I'm going to do it all myself. And that way I can learn all the trades. And that way, when, it, when I run my own business, then I can manage all the trades because I know, you know, what people should be doing. 
um, which was a very ambitious thing to do. Um, but I was fortunate enough that we were in a position where it was okay, and I spent two and a half years building this house by myself. Wow. Um, and in the process, um, kind of discovered what green building was um, because the, the sort of level of stuff that I was doing, a friend of mine who was in the solar industry was like, hey, that's green building. I was like, what are you talking about? What is that? So I you know, started to look into it, read a lot of books. I did the program with Austin Energy Green Building. Ended up building that house and getting it five star certified with Austin Energy Green Building. Um, and said, oh, this is incredible. I love doing this. It makes sense. Uh, I'm going to start a company and I'm going to build green spec homes. And that's when the market crashed. <laughs> uh, yeah. um, as luck would have it. And, of course, banks weren't lending any builders any money at that time to build spec homes. Um, so I immediately kind of pivoted and started renovating or doing remodels. And at that time, it was kitchens. Like, mm -hmm. I'd just go in and I would do kitchens. Um, and then I slowly, over the course, this was about, I think I did my first job in 2010, maybe. So kind of slowly did you know kitchens and some outdoor living spaces and some things and kind of grew that um to where i was doing whole house renovations and new construction and it was still just me yeah. right um anyway so i did that for about 10 years and at some point it's um i met matt he and i um worked out at the same gym together matt reisinger yeah um and um yeah so we became friends and then one day he just called me and he was like, oh, this is a crazy idea, but what do you think about coming to work for me? And um, I was like, well, that's nuts because I have my own company. Like, you know, why would I do that? But really, it, it got me thinking. Mm -hmm. um, and I had spent so much time on my own, running my own company that I never really, and I never had ambitions to grow a large construction company. I just wanted to build houses, right? And that was a way for me to do that. But it was a little lonely, right? Mm -hmm. And um, I was by myself. I mean, I had all my trades that, you know, but I'd never been a part of a team. And I felt like to grow myself as a person, being a part of a team and being able to operate in that sort of um, state, I think, was something that I needed to do. Anyway, also, it was crazy timing because literally two weeks later, the world shut down. And that's when the COVID pandemic hit. Dang. And um, so the projects that I, I had just finished up some projects and I had some lined up and they disappeared. Um, and so I actually started started at Reisinger Build in August of 2020 mm. um, in the middle of the pandemic, which was interesting because, you know, my... My thought was, I want to work with the team. This will be great. And the office was shut down. And I, I literally didn't meet half the team for like a year. You know? wow. Impeccable timing. Yeah, it was crazy. Um, but it was great. And, and um, it's just a wonderful group of people. And we're all very like-minded. And we have the same goals of how things should be done. And um, yeah, so I've been working there for you know a little bit over three years now. And... Um, it's uh, it's wonderful. Right? What, what's your role there? Yeah, so I'm the executive project manager. Um, my role is basically um, I oversee all the other project managers and all the projects broadly. I also do uh, all the sort of pre-construction and client development stuff. Uh, some some I oversee and do some of the estimating as well. Um, and then. Um, Sort of on a day-to-day, -day, I'm the sort of technical guy that when the project managers have 
you know, questions that they can't answer, they come to me and I'll help kind of figure things or guide them in certain directions on what we should do and particular details or, or whatever that it is. So what, um, kind of going back to you, you, you owned your own company. What are some things that, I guess, some lessons learned, some of the biggest lessons that you learned maybe, you know, that, that kind of carry over t- with you today? Yeah, um, really the main thing, and I think, you know, why I was able to find success um, being on my own and grow as far as, you know, the types of projects that I was capable of taking on was early on I understood the importance of um, finding quality subcontractors, Mm -hmm. people that were like-minded, that, you know, paid attention to what they were doing, did quality work, were honest, um, and really developing those relationships and you know, the, the better quality subcontractors that I had, the less I had to spend time managing them. And, you know, when you're a one-man show, your time is limited. You know, there's a lot of hats that you have to wear. Being a superintendent or somebody on site all the time is... Mm-hmm. If, you can, if you can not do that, you have time to do all the other things. Um, so I think that was, that was the main thing. And, you know, I... I was fortunate in that really what I did honestly in the beginning when I didn't have a base of subcontractors was I figured out who were the really good builders in town who were they using mm-hmm. and then I went and, and yeah. said hey I know I'm just a little guy and I don't really do big projects but what do you think and then you know when you're friendly with somebody and honest and open and they understand that um, you are there to build quality stuff that um, they'll take a chance on you, you know, which is kind of what happened. And I was fortunate to develop those relationships with people I still work with today. And that's, I mean, that really, honestly, that's a lot of the success that Reisinger has as well is, you know, we, we have fantastic subcontractors that, um, we have worked with for many, many years and developed these relationships yeah. with. They know what to expect from us and we know what to expect from them. And I mean, any good builder, it's not just us, right? Mm-hmm. That's what everybody does. And um, I think recognizing that is important. Talking about like finding good trades, um, how do you kind of weed through some of the BS and really find the ones, I mean, if you're just starting off, right? If it's, yeah. if, if it's just yeah. you building yeah. and, and you're, you're trying to get into the industry, how do you go about, like, like you said, I, I, you know, you're, you're looking at some of the other, you know, prominent builders in town and figuring out who they use, um, which I think is super smart, but how, how do you go through and kind of weed out the guys who just aren't really there? You know, they don't really care. They're just trying to sell yeah. you like, I need to weed the moment you identify what you just talked about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it is. I mean, sometimes it is trial and error. Like you, you, it's hard to tell. Right. Um, you know, and not to be judgmental or anything, but like appearance is a big thing. Like, do they drive a truck that's beat up and scratched and you know what I mean? It's got paint running down the side of it. That's probably not the guy that you want working for you. Cause if he, if he doesn't pay attention to how he takes care of his own truck, like what's he going to do to your job site? It's funny you say that. Wade Lombard was like, the dashboard on every one of the trucks had to be spotless. <laughs> That's exactly what you're saying. Yeah. You know, you, how you carry yourself is going to yeah. be a dictation of yeah. how you're probably going to perform. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's, that's just true. one example, but like that translates to a lot of things of just how somebody carries <clears throat> themselves. You can tell right away, um, 
And sometimes you can't, right? And sometimes people, yeah. not that they're con artists, but they they present themselves one way and they do work a different way. And, you know, you find out the hard way that that's true. Or somebody's fantastic and you get along great and they do fantastic work. And then something happens in their life, like mm-hmm. anybody. I mean, they're just people, right? And one day they stop showing up to work and stop answering your phone calls. And then, you know, then you got to move on. Yeah. Um, but you try to get to you get on a personal level with people, and um, then because you know in this town there's a lot of competition. There's a, a lot, lot of builders doing a lot of great work, paying a lot of money, <laughs> yeah. and um, to to try to get somebody to give you attention on your project, you've got to have something else. And if it's a personal connection, then that can go a long way. Yeah, that's very true. Well, you know, I wanted to go back again. You you were um, you know you're working for yourself. You you did this initial tear down and rebuild, right? Um, and you said you built it like you built a green house. Okay. Yeah. What what is that? What does that mean? Yeah. So it's um, you know the Austin Energy Green Building Program, which is actually the oldest green building program in the country. It's hmm. it's sort of morphed and changed over the years, but at that time, and I think it was 2010 when we were awarded the five star rating, um, they've got essentially it's a list of criteria, and it it's um, from everything from sort of energy efficiency standards, whether it's you know a certain SEER level on your HVAC system, or you know how energy efficient your toilets are, or how water wise your toilets are, things like that, yeah. um, to what types of materials you're putting in your house. It's you know it runs the gamut, and so you basically it's like a point system, um, and you have to have you know certain. Uh, required points and then any additional points adds up and it's either a three or four or five star or whatever Mm. Um, and so this this particular house that I built um, you know we did things like and I don't know if this necessarily went to the rating system but I didn't want to pour a traditional slab because concrete is you know one of the worst polluters in the world and I wanted to minimize how much concrete I was putting into the house so we drilled piers um, I wanted to minimize the number of piers that we put in, again, because of the concrete. So um, we spaced them out and put steel beams, kind of like the house I have now, yeah. um, coincidentally. Yeah. Um, and, you know, steel is recyclable, so even if the house gets torn down in 50 or 100 years or whatever, those steel beams can be reused or recycled. Um, I oriented it a certain way. I put very large overhangs on the house so that all the windows were shaded. Um, we, um, at that time, I didn't know all the things that I know now, but I tried to build it as airtight as I can, which was at the time was pretty great. I think yeah, yeah. we got a blower door of a 2.1. Oh, um, and and this was this was a Tyvek wrapped house. Yeah, I was gonna uh, say this sounds uh, like with, it's it's like pre with, uh, Huber. Yeah, yeah, yeah a Tyvek wrapped house with um, very inexpensive ply gem vinyl windows, um, single hung actually, so terribly <laughs> terribly drafty windows. But yeah, so that was pretty cool. Um, we had a solar system up on the roof. We also had a solar wa- uh, hot water heater, which was cool. Hmm. Uh, we had a rainwater collection system that we put in. Um, and then I reused, so we, I deconstructed that house that was there originally and saved all of the lumber or most of the lumber from the original house. Um, I took the two by fours, I 
ripped them down the middle and the inside of those I mean, you sure you've seen it the old longleaf pine absolutely beautiful mm. so i ripped them down into one by fours and used that as my baseboards and my door casing that's super cool um and then the outside of that house um had 12 inch wide it i don't know what you call it but basically they were it was like board and batten but there was no um two by four framing like the outside of the wall was also the inside of the wall. It was just a 1x12 with like 1x2 battens in between, and then there was wallpaper on the inside. Dang. Wow. Yeah, crazy. So I took that, uh, you know, all that wood, uh, which was, again, um, longleaf pine, and, and it took a very, very long time, but I went through it, and, and that old wallpaper, what it was is first it was a cheesecloth that was tacked on, with these teeny tiny little tacks, and then the wallpaper was applied to that, and um, you know I had to plane down all these boards, but I couldn't I couldn't do any of that until I pulled all of those out. So we we, we used to have nail pulling parties where we would <laughs> just sit around the fire in the evening and just pull nails and pull tacks, and we'd have a um, little magnet we'd go down and figure out. So anyway, so I stacked all that wood up, and then I milled it on site. I had a little planer and a whole setup. And I milled every board on site, and then that was my flooring for the house. Gosh, that's um, so cool. And it was, yeah, it was gorgeous. It was really, really nice. When was that house built, you know? Yeah, 1903. The original 1903, wow. Yeah. And you finished it in 2010? Yeah. Have you, what's the status of it now in 23? Yeah, so actually, um, I just got a call. So the people we sold it to still live there. I don't know as of right now, but uh, I just, uh, maybe two weeks ago, got a call from a real estate agent who was either listing the house or representing a buyer to buy the house and it had some questions about the foundation and things that I did. Wow. Um, and I looked at the listing price on it and it, <laughs> let me tell you, it's well, yeah. incredible. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Since 2010, I can yeah. imagine. Um, but yeah, no, the house, as far as I know, is still running smoothly and functioning just fine. That's, um, that's super cool. What an experience yeah. though, too. Yeah. Like yeah. being able to do that. Yeah, it was it was a great experience. I'm very fortunate, I think, to be able to spend that time to really go through every aspect, start to finish on building a house and designing it. We does, you know, we were my wife and I are the ones that designed the entire home, um, and it turned out great. Um, so, yeah, it was it was pretty cool. It seems like remodels are a good way to. That's a good way to learn. I think it makes you a better builder. Hundred percent. Yeah. I hundred percent agree with that. Yeah. That and doing it yourself. Yeah. That, oh, exactly. That, doing yes. it yourself. Yeah. Uh, I, I've done things similar, and I've also talked to different builders that if they've never done it, they go out there and they'll argue with someone. Well, just go do it. Just yeah. go do this. Here's what I want you to do. Now go do it. Yeah. And when the trade, the craftsman says, well, there's a problem with this, this and this and this, and these all interact, and they're like, just, just go do it. Just go make it happen. Yeah. But if you've done it, and you understand those transitions yep. and the difficulty and the craftsmanship and what's involved. Again, it goes a long way to the relationship because then the trades also go, okay, this guy knows what he's talking about. Hey, he trusts you. I yeah. respect him. He respects me. Yeah. It's, a, it's a much better collaboration. Yeah. 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 No, it is. I mean, to, to be able, you know, a lot of the conversations that we have about figuring out a detail or how we're overcoming a challenge, um, you know, if you're on site, that's great. It's fantastic and it's a lot helpful. But oftentimes that's not the case. And so you're doing it over the phone. And being able to communicate with somebody over the phone about something you're not looking at 
but you really understand because you've done it mm-hmm. and you've seen it, right? It's very helpful. Mm-hmm. It's very, very helpful. And it's difficult to do otherwise, I think. Yeah. I mean, a lot of times too, you, it's, it's kind of like a trip through history. You know, you, you get to see how houses used to be built. Yeah. I mean, the house was built in 1903. Yeah. You know, what's crazy about that house, which to me was the most interesting thing. Um, you know, I, like I said, I deconstructed it, right? I didn't come in and doze it. Mm-hmm. There were six layers of shingles on this house. They didn't, they didn't re-roof it by taking the old shingles off and putting new shingles on. They just added a layer and wow. added a layer and added a layer. And that bottom layer was cedar shake. Wow. And then there was five layers of asphalt shingles on top of that. Every color you could imagine. Green, blue, red. But it lasted a hundred years. I mean, not a hundred years. Well, uh, well, almost a hundred years. Yeah. Right? A hundred years under that building science. Yeah. Right? That's pretty amazing. There's yeah. stuff that we built ten years ago. Not we, but there's yeah. stuff that was built ten years ago that won't last twenty years. Yeah. So for something that basic yeah that that's impressive yeah and the i mean it, like i said it had been abandoned for two years so you can imagine what the inside looked like mm. um but you know just that old growth lumber that was in there like it was yeah, not yeah. rotting out like here's the here's an yeah, example yeah. the house was on pier and beam and it had been modified over the years there was one original pier that was a cedar post that was sunk into the ground hundred year old cedar post right and from the ground to the bottom of the house it looked perfect and when we pulled it out of the ground it looked like the roots on a tooth right but it was still solid because that cedar right that's hard wood mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. but it had been sitting in the ground for a hundred years <laughs> still holding up the house that's, that's wild. It's crazy. Just, just like kind of like a friction pile like just drove into the ground yeah. or wow. yeah. Because it had been allowed to dry. Yeah. The whole thing. I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think we had talked about that before, I I think when we had Michael on, um, about, you know, there is some, you you kind of the difference, we were talking about the difference between like passive house, like building super tight. Yeah. I mean, you're controlling every, you know, all the air in and out is very controlled versus this, the leaky house, right? that you're just pumping in AC, you know, comfort-wise, it, it might not be as comfortable, but when you talk about the longevity of it, if it's if it's allowed, if it gets wet and it's allowed to dry... When? When what? When it gets wet. Oh, sure. Not sure. Okay, yeah. it's wet. All right, sorry. Yeah. When it gets wet. Yeah. Um, I mean, we live in a climate, it gets hot, it's going to dry out relatively quickly, um, you know, and that's, it's, it's going to last a, a long time. I mean... Case in point, I mean, that house that's, you know, 1903 and all this old growth lumber that's, you know, very sturdy and uh, a lot stronger than the lumber we have these days. Yeah. You know, it lasts a very long time. Yeah, no, it's true. I mean, it's um, like you had mentioned earlier, holistically. I mean, you have to look at at a building holistically. You have to look at all the system, all the parts and pieces that make up the system together. Yeah. Right. And the trade off is, I mean, that. 100-year-old house, I guarantee, was not a comfortable place to live. Um, <laughs> but it didn't, it lasted 100 years. And so, yeah, that's right. But it is, I mean, it goes back to, you know, paying attention to the details. If, if you are striving for that airtightness, you better be sure that you would do it right. 
but also figure out, okay, if water gets in here, how am I going to allow it to get out, mm-hmm. right? And so that's why we have rain screens and we flash things a particular way and we have different layers so that we know that, like you said, when, at some point something's going to fail and water will get in somewhere. Mm-hmm. If it gets in there, how, how is it going to not adversely affect the building by you know, draining out or drying out because there's airflow in that rain screen, that air gap behind the siding? Um, I mean, it's, no building is perfect, right? But, um, yeah, it's, that's... How do you feel about apprenticeships? Do you think we need to adopt kind of an, an apprenticeship kind of a um, path in, in this country? Because I, I don't think we... I, I was talking to somebody the other day, for example. They were born and raised in Germany, and they have a, you know apprenticeship programs over there where you know if you want to become a, a carpenter or you know a, a, a plaster guy, I don't know what they call them over there, you know, you have to spend three years in an apprenticeship, you know, before you can actually become, you know, the carpenter. Yeah. I mean, how do, how do you feel about... <clears throat> well, so here's the thing. Um, 100%, yes. Uh, so I lived in Switzerland for three years. Mm. And there, um, only a, a small portion of the population goes to university. Right, right. And it's actually kind of fairly early on in childhood where what your path is determined. There's, you know, different levels of schooling that in elementary and middle school and high school age, people get split apart. And um, most people graduate at the age of 16 and immediately go into apprenticeship. And it's not just construction. It's anything. Right. Right. Anything. You do schooling for that profession and you also work and get paid doing it, um, and I think it's a fantastic thing. Yeah, I absolutely think I think it's a huge, huge mountain to overcome in the United States because yeah. we just are not. That's not our system. It's not the model we have. Here um, but yes, I think it would make a big difference in a lot of people's lives if they under understood that as a viable pathway, and that um, you know to receive like. You know, you go to college and you receive an education for, for a profession. That should be the same for anything. And um, whether it's a plasterer or a painter or a mason or a carpenter or whatever, that those people should be taught how to do that properly. And then that just elevates everything, right? Like yeah, everything exactly. gets better at that point. Our houses are built better. People are, you know, um, making good livings and respected. I don't know. I just, yeah, I think it would be wonderful if we could do that. Um, I'm just not smart enough to know how that would happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I well, I mean, and another thing too that maybe is that we could actually do um, because some states do it and others don't is uh, uh, being licensed. Yeah. Like the state of Texas, you don't yeah. have to be a licensed builder. Now, being licensed obviously doesn't mean you know that's a ticket. Like you're yeah. you're knowledgeable in, in right. building. Uh, just because you have a license, but at least there's some effort to make sure that there is a base knowledge or like a, a base understanding of the you know the industry. Yeah. Uh, and and you have to continually educate yourself. Yeah. Um, no, I think that's right. I mean, if there was some infrastructure and some some prescribed pathway to to get to licensure, like other than you know just paying uh, 
paying for it, right? Which is how yeah. it is some places. Um, but again, it like across all trades, like you know, obviously plumbers and electricians and some of those trades have that, but that could be you know that could be spelled out in a lot of different ways and be introduced to teenagers and young people as as ways to you know earn a living. And I'm kind of on the fence about it because I, I like Texas and. You know, I like that there's low, kind of a low barrier to entry. You're not going to talk bad about Texas. No, absolutely (laughs) not. I've lived here my whole life, and I I love it. And like I said, I I like that it's kind of this this free, you know, anybody who wants to be a builder can can certainly go out and do that. And there's, like I said, there's low barriers to entry. And if you want to go do that, then then go do it. Um, But I kind of like the aspect, too, of, you know, the, the trades need to be licensed. You know, your architect needs to be licensed, but I mean, they don't need to be, but to be an architect, yeah. technically, you, you have to be licensed. Yeah. Um, so it's like all of these other, you know, your engineer, licensed, architect, licensed, your trades are licensed, but the builder's not. It, and it kind of seems like that's that's kind of a key piece that's missing. Yeah. So. And, and it <laughs> is, I mean, I don't know who the listeners are to this, but like most places, it's not that way, right? Like here in Texas, it is the one of the exceptions where you could just say, Hey, I'm a builder and start building houses. And there's some freedom to that hundred percent. I mean, yeah. it's what I did. <laughs> um, but, but I agree. I think there, there should be a bit more regulation behind it because at the end of the day, you know, the people that are buying the houses from these folks, not everyone, obviously there are a lot of fantastic builders, but uh, there's a lot of people that don't know what they're doing. And the people that are buying these houses, they're the ones that suffer from that. Yeah. When mm-hmm. when things fail because the builder didn't know what he was doing exactly. or she. Budge, I can tell you were over there thinking about something. So well, let's put it out. Yeah, because if, if the builder uses all the trades that are certified, I mean, it's it's the customer has to decide, am I going to Perry's for dinner or am I going to McDonald's for dinner? Yeah. You know when you go to McDonald's, you're getting crap. Sure. And that's what you're paying for. You know when you go to Perry's that you're getting something that the chef is trained and the food is much better prepared. So, I mean, there's there's a market for each of those and the market will determine who survives and who doesn't. Yeah, but what if McDonald's opens up a new restaurant with a very fancy sign? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it looks very elegant. Um you don't know and and places have tried that. I think that they either succeed or fail because the customers decide, okay, this product is either good or it's not good. Yeah, but the thing is... I guess I've seen a lot of paper builders as well yeah. that we're doing a greenhouse. You know, as an example, they'll say, we're doing a greenhouse and, oh, we put bamboo floor in, so we get points for that. Yeah. And we used a 16-sear air conditioner, so we get points for that. Yeah. And it's... It's a paper house. Yeah. It's not really a greenhouse. It's yeah. a paper greenhouse. Yeah. So there's there's always ways around it. Um, if you want to do right and you want to find something right, then you will. If you're looking for a deal that's too good to be true, you're going to find it too. Yeah. But you're going to suffer from it later. Yeah. And, well, and like you said about basically being a greenhouse on paper, a lot of people fall for that. Right. You know, because they see that and they're like, oh, cool, that's a greenhouse. But they, you know, the, most buyers aren't going to know the difference. Yeah. And uh, so, like you said, like McDonald's, you know, if they rebrand and put up a big flashy sign and 
changed their logo. It's, it's still McDonald's, but you know. Yeah. Kinda. Yeah, it it's it really is, and it's something that I struggle with too because I go back to there's you know the uh, what is it J D Power and Associates there vehicle ratings right mm-hmm. ah. and one of them is best in initial quality in initial quality <laughs> right? what a horrible <laughs> and i'm always yeah. like what is that why would you care about that yeah the day you buy it it's fantastic the second day it's terrible yeah. right and i think and so i think about that a lot with houses where um these builders they put them together and they look great mm-hmm. right they've got granite countertops and Stainless steel appliances and, and, you know, whatever, all the bells and whistles. But, and the, and the people move in there and say, oh, this is a fantastic house. It's, it's great. It's comfortable. All these things. Well, because it wasn't built well, five years later, it's falling apart. You know, the paint is fading. You've got leaky windows, all these things. And so, it's that. Like, it's, how do you know that you're getting, how do you know what you're getting? Because in a market like in Austin... You said, you know, people like, oh, well, I'm, I'm paying for this, so I know I'm getting this. In a market like Austin, that could still be a very expensive house. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And you think because you're paying so much that you're getting a fantastic house, but you're not necessarily. Or true. it's great in initial quality, but, you know what <laughs> That's I mean? great, initial quality. Yeah. Well, you've, you've bought many houses. Um, how do you kind of weed out, you know, some of those... New builds, maybe that well, look, that look good, like they look good on Instagram, right? They got yeah. all the, the good pictures and the, the professionally done photos, but you know, yeah, you kind of weed those out. Well, I'm unique. I've bought three houses, I haven't hired a home inspector for a single one of them, mm. and they were all except for one were sold as teardowns, and the one that wasn't sold as a teardown, I knew I was going to tear it down. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Um, so I, you know, I don't know, but sure. really the, the answer is yeah. for anybody else is to, and there are a lot of great ones, but hire a fantastic home inspector and a home inspector that understands building science, right? Um, because they know what to look for and the quality of home inspector, now granted they're also not great home inspectors, but the quality of home inspector generally I think has gone up mm. and, um, but that's a perfect example of you have to be certified yeah. to be a home inspector. Yeah. And, I, you know, maybe because we all do what we do at such a high level, like I probably would never hire a home inspector right. because I'm going to pick up on things that they're not going to see. And I'm just going to get pissed off when on the cover of their report <laughs> it says, if I didn't see it, yeah. it's not anything that that's I'm right. accountable <laughs> for. Right. And I may not have seen a whole load of stuff. <laughs> Yeah, there's always that disclaimer. That's right. Um, but, you know, it's for the average person that doesn't know anything. For, yeah, I mean, right? we like are that, that is your We are not the average right? homeowner. Yeah. Do your due diligence, though, right? That's right. I mean, That's right. It, with anything, it doesn't matter if you're buying a house or if you're buying a car yep. or whatever. Do your research. Do your research. Yeah. And with the internet and the resources that we have at our fingertips, you can geek out and rabbit hole into anything and find out whether or not that's legitimate and how to pursue it yeah yeah that's i think that's a good point i mean it's all the information is there it's there out there in the world and um, I mean, there's definitely a rising or video about it somewhere <laughs> that's oh, right. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but even too like in the city of austin like did they pull a permit mm-hmm. mm. 
Did they pull a permit and then get the inspections? Yeah, and, and then close the, the permit. <laughs> and then close the permit, right? Like, that information is available to anybody. Yep, and um, it should be. And, yeah, and it should be. That's right. And so, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's something that every project that we take on that's a renovation, like, that's one of the first things I do is find out, you know, all the information that I can about a house. Um, That'd be a great metric that the city should provide, like... Like, you, you have baseball players, right? And they have all their stats and they have baseball cards. <laughs> so you have builder cards and you can ask, like, ooh, what's your uh, permit close percentage? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, um, I'm, I'm excited to see. Uh, I, I, you know, I keep up with you on, on Instagram and uh, I'm excited to see how your, how your home progresses and um, all the details come together and... Um, and I'm sure you and your family are also excited to see it yeah. finish. So. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, we had that BSM beer um, uh-huh. at my house. And I think I'm hoping that we'll do that again um, at a later stage so that we can see some of the other systems yeah. that we're doing at the house. And it was a really fun event, and it was great for um, a lot of good discussions between all the, the building science nerds that were there. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, and shout out to uh, BSM beer. Um, it's it's a great event they have monthly, um, and yeah, I'd be I'm sure everybody would really enjoy seeing that you know as you get further along. Um, but Daniel, I really appreciate your time and I, and I appreciate having you on and uh, thanks for the for the great conversation and look forward to you know like I said seeing the house come to completion. Yeah, absolutely. It's been a lot of fun. I really enjoyed speaking with you guys. Thanks, thanks for joining us. Yeah.